When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've got some information for you that may amaze you, but if you watch a lot of footy, it may not. It might just confirm what your eyes had already told you. I go on about bad kicking costing games a bit on this program, have for a number of years, especially goal kicking. And on last year's figures, it proved that it's not just key forwards goal kicking that hasn't improved for decades. It's actually your gun midfielders who are the bigger culprits on last year's data and the data that's coming through on recent seasons. Some of the greatest midfielders of the now are some of the worst kicks at goal in modern midfield history. Maybe because they practice stoppages so much uh, and goal kicking so little, I don't know. But I've got a list of the worst midfield kicks for goal and the all-time great and current best kicks for goal from your midfield. So your thoughts on this one three hundred. 736-736 if you'd like to join the discussion. Heaps to give away as well, by the way. Bottles of Starwood, twofold double-grain Australian whiskey, thanks to Hairy Dog's summer of Aussie spirit, hairydog.com.au. Got some Carlton merchandise packs as well, including a 2023 member scarf cap and a six-game membership. You can become a three-game Carlton member, and the club will double your access to six games, all for just $99, given that it is Carlton membership today on SEN. And George Hewitt's going to join us later on in the program. So Gary Ablett Jr., one of the all-time best, most accurate midfield goal kickers in stat history. So that might not surprise you at all that it's Gary Ablett Jr. On stats alone, if you gave Gary Ablett Jr. 100 shots on the run or set shot, he would kick you 20 more goals by accuracy alone than Patrick Cripps, Clayton Oliver, Christian Petrarca or Ollie Wines. Gazza would kick you 15 more goals on accuracy alone than Marcus Bontempelli, Nat Fife, or Hugh McCluggage. So kick percentage for midfielders at goal. Gary Ablett Jr. is plus 10 on the percentage average chart. Scott Pendlebury, very good kick at goal when he gets the chance. He's plus 5% on the percentage average chart. Dustin Martin, plus 3%. That's probably no surprise to anybody. Whereas Clayton Oliver, minus 8%. 8% below the average for midfielder goal-kicking accuracy. Patrick Cripps, minus 8%. Ollie Wines, minus 8%. Dylan Cheel, minus 6%. Hugh McCluggage, minus 6%. Christian Petrarca, minus 5%. Marcus Bonapelli, minus 3%. These are all superstars of the game. Nat Fife, minus 3%. Josh Kelly, minus 3%. Patrick Dangerfield, minus 1%. So, AFL superstar midfielders of the modern game, yes. But below average goal-kickers for accuracy rate, let me give you some of... Well, Christian Petrarca's goal-kicking percentage last season was 26%. So last season alone, Christian Petrarca, maybe it was just a bad season. Maybe he just had an extraordinarily bad year. But 26%, some of the all-time great midfielder percentages of goal. Jason Ackermanis, when you think of Acker, 58% at goal when he had shots. So he kicked 421 goals, 310, Acker. Darren Jarman. Better than 58%. He was 64%. He kicked 386 goals, 210. And that's why his name is always raised when great midfield kick discussions are had. Great field kick, Darren Jarman. 
great goal kicker at 64%. Greg Williams, career accuracy at goal, 56%. He kicked 217 goals, 166. Craig Bradley, career accuracy at goal, 56%. 247 goals, 192. Most of the greats were at least over 50%. Nathan Buckley, Sam Mitchell, Simon Black. But last year, here's a batch of the star mids that were under 50%. And a few of these are outside of the ones I've just mentioned. Shea Bolton, 44%. Marcus Bonapelli, 45%. Jake Stringer, 45%. Jordan DeGowie, 42%. Connor Rosie, 46%. So it's not just your key forwards that are costing you a goal or two per game with their poorer goal kicking. It's a few of your star midfielders as well. Your thoughts on all of that? one three hundred seven three six seven three six is the number. If you'd like to join me, got a heap of other stuff to give away, including um, a couple of La Cabra vouchers as well. The goat of Melbourne Mexican food, La Cabra. Mike in Geelong wants to talk to cricket as well. Muzza on the road wants to talk goal kicking efficiency. We'll start with you, Muzza. Welcome to you. Okay, Glenn, uh, yeah, kicking, it's, <laughs> kicking and handballing is, I have to say, is the most important aspect of the AFL game. Now, I just wonder how much time did I spend at training um, on field kicking and kicking in general? And we've heard there's been, you know, legends of the game like Lloyd and, and BT going to clubs at various stages to help practice their goal kicking, but they're only there for short periods of time. Um, I'd say they don't spend nowhere near as much time as they should in um, in kicking and, and and on the non-preferred side as well. Well, a lot of these guys are reasonably good field kicks normally, uh, so they can hit a target under pressure in the field. It's just that when it comes to goal, maybe they need to practice more goal kicking. Muscle, whatever time they're putting into it now, if they read these figures, you'd be practicing it more. And I know some of the older guys, I know how hard they did practice. I mean, Craig Bradley was ridiculous how often he practiced. And I know how much he practiced because we'd often wag school and practice together. So, and, and as bad as that sounds um, to a lot of parents probably driving around now, um, if it was your craft, it was your craft. Uh, appreciate your call, Muzza. Uh, if you've got a thought on this, Jeff and Manalates are coming to you. Muzza, hold the line. We've got something for you. Straight up, you've got a La Cabra voucher, the goat of Melbourne Mexican food, La Cabra. I hope they do think about practising a bit more and not just wipe it off as, oh, well, it was bad luck last year. I, I just had a bad luck kind of year because um, there's a few coming through. Uh, you know, Craig Bradley, Greg Williams, Toby Bairstow, never missed as well. Keep your texts coming through. I'll read a heap of those out. 0433981116 on the 40 Winks temper text. Uh, Jeff in Manor Lakes, your thoughts on this, Jeff? Welcome to you. Good day, Dwayne. I think the thing is, what you've got to look at now compared to, you know, those other errors is that there's a lot of fatigue in the game now, especially those midfields who are playing 80, 90% of the game time and at these so fast paced compared to, you know, your error and, and everything like that. But also the thing is you need to take into consideration is that they only get 30 seconds now to have a kick for goal. Whereas previously, I can't remember when it came in, previously you could take as long as you wanted. So I I still think it comes down to the sports science guys have a lot to answer for because they don't want the players kicking so much, whether it be training, whether it be kicking for goal, etc. They want to limit the amount of kicking they have. Every forward and midfielder 
to at least have, I reckon, 30 shots of goal every training session so that they can make sure that they get it right. Yeah, Jeff, but it's, if it's costing you a goal a game, then maybe the high-performance guys need to be overridden by the coaching staff and say, no, no, we need to work on this. It's costing us a goal a game. And I know what you're saying about, oh, there's a few coming through. It's the sports scientists that have ruined it. Uh, get rid of the computer nerds. That's from Davos. There's a lot of those coming through supporting your theory on that, Jeff. Appreciate it. If you've got a theory on this, then by all means, jump on the line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Jeff, you've got a round of golf for you and three mates at Epic Arena with beverages. Great prize. We've got a few of these to give away. Epic Arena with beverages. Immerse yourself in Epic Golf at Epic Arena. Hold the line. We'll let you know how to pick it up. Uh, John on the road, you've got a theory on this. Welcome to you, John. Yeah, thank you, Dwayne. Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, the, your previous caller just made a very good point, actually, on having more time to, to kick for goal. Uh, it would make a huge difference um, if, um, if they got those extra few seconds to be a bit less pressure. So if you want accuracy, you perhaps have to consider that. The other thing I was going to say, like with on-ballers and all the power training that they do these days and field kicking during training, if they stay, if they stay back for goal kicking practice afterwards, they'd have no hip flexors left. It would really take its toll on their hip flexors. So there's no way they could finish training and then have 30 or 40 shots for goal. I think you would either have to organise a designated kicking day for goal, which would be for mm. everybody, but you just couldn't do it, Dwayne. It would just it would create too many injuries. Yeah, I get what you're saying, John, but there is other mechanisms to do it, and different goal-kicking guys have done it in different ways. Like, I know some who kick balloons quite a bit, get a balloon to spin. If you can get a balloon to spin like a drop punt, it's a lot of... It's a ball drop craft as well as just a kicking craft. Getting your ball drop right is key, and getting your ball drop over your kicking foot in the right manner is key as well. So you can actually do it without ruining your hip flexor by getting practices. Uh, I know there's not many squash courts around these days, but that was something that I did on my left for years. Um, Go and hire a squash court for a couple of hours and just kick to yourself up against the wall. You don't have to kick full-blooded, but it helps with your ball drop and it helps you get repeated kick after kick after kick after kick without having someone on the field retrieving the balls for you. Uh, There might not be too many squash courts around these days that will let someone walk in with a football either. But, you know, there is ways of having repetitive uh, mechanism practice without actually ruining your hip flexor. Appreciate your call, John. Robert in Ivanhoe, you got a thought? Welcome to you, Robert. Yeah, good day, Dwayne. Um, love listening to the show. Um, I thought I'd say about the uh, goal kicking that uh, one thing that I think has changed in the last couple of years is um, forwards playing on, kicking around the body, um, and not going back and taking a set shot. I know. Uh, Harry Mackay in the first um, practice game, he went back and definitely made a decision to do drop punts rather than, um, you know, kicking around the corner and so forth. So I think that's made a Just on that, Robert. Yeah, just on that. I asked Patrick Cripps this exact question yesterday. So Patrick Cripps, captain of Carlton, was on the program yesterday at the captain's day. I watched that practice game, and you're right. Harry Mackay was kicking more drop punts than ever. Now, he'll still kick... He'll still kick the hook kick in the right-hand pocket. He'll still bend around. But he was kicking more drop punts in that practice game than he had for ages. Patrick Cripps told me that was garbage yesterday, that it wasn't right. So maybe my eyes were deceiving me as well, Robert. I thought that from watching that game. 
Yeah, I, I think that was definitely the case. And he, he cost a couple of games last year because of the playing on and kicking around the corner. Um, so mm. I, I think psychologically he's gone back and, and given that a lot more thought. And um, I'd be also interested to know who the actual forwards coaches are, you know, and, and what their uh, conversion rate was. Um, because if, if they're the ones giving the coaching and they, they haven't got a great result themselves, well, no doubt that's going to flow onto the uh, forwards for that team. Yeah, it's not just the forward coach either. It's probably the midfield coaches because the midfielders probably don't spend a lot of time with the forwards coach. So the midfielders got to take it themselves and say, look, I need to improve my goal kicking. So I'm not a great kicker goal from 45 or 50, so I need to improve it. And we have seen a few modern-day midfielders who just won't take the shot now. So they're too reluctant to take the shot. They'd rather go for the crazy impossible pass than actually taking the shot from 45. Whereas, you know, in the old days, you just had guys who... I mean, Darren Jarman would just take the shot because he knew that he was a good chance of kicking it. So the more confident kicker goal you are, the more you've practised, the more you believe in yourself, the more likely you are to take the shot because you believe you'll kick it. Great to have you call, Robert. Uh, really appreciate it. And given you mentioned Carlton, you've got the Carlton merchandise pack, including a 2023 member scarf, cap, and six-game membership. Become a three-game Carlton member, and the club will double your access to six games, all from just $99. Uh, Dan in Rye, you got a thought on this? Dan, welcome to you. Yeah, uh, hi, Dwayne. Um, yeah, you stole my thunder there a bit, but I agree with you. It's 70 80% uh, technique and ball drop. If you look at Gary Ablett and the way he positioned the ball onto his boot, he minimised the distance between hand and foot. And it's just pure repetition and practice of that skill is what gives you the accuracy. And if you look at guys like Petrarca or Fife and some of these more inaccurate guys, you you just wince at the, the, the distance that they put between their hand and their boot. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And I, that's where the balloon technique is something that I've seen used by players before. A, a, a slower, a, a ball drop is so essential when it comes to dropping a balloon correctly so it turns onto your boot at the right uh, cadence, if you like it. And look, and I've mentioned Craig Bradley before, but uh, he broke his arm once kicking a, a pair of rolled up socks in his lounge room because he ran himself into a corner and fell over the lounge, broke his wrist and couldn't play for a while. So, yeah, I mean, there was... And another text has come through on this. Once upon a time, kids were kicking in the street for hours and hours, and maybe they just don't kick in the street like they used to. Uh, Dan, and I appreciate that text as well. It's a different world, so maybe we're never going to get the accuracy of the Darren Jarmans of the world. Maybe you're never going to get, you know, Jason Ackermanis is 58% ever again. We're going to just have to live with the under 50% brigade, which we've got a lot of now. Uh, the beautiful thing is we've got a couple that are over 50% right now, like Scott Pendlebury and Dustin Martin. But there's a lot of them. I mean, there's a, guy, a lot of guys I haven't mentioned yet. I mean, I mentioned Shea Bolton, 44%. But Isaac Rankin, 48%. Uh, Michael Walters, 44%. Fremantle fans. Um, you know, that, that was his accuracy rate last year. Um, oh, Hugh McLuggage, 46%. So it's not just the key forwards. Throw back to your calls for Midday Madness. Mark in Derrimut on the goal-kicking issue. Welcome to you, Mark. Are you good to get your opinion? Yeah, how you going, guys? Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for the, um, you know, for the experience on the goal kicking. So I've just um, come down from Queensland and I've signed up with an Aussie Rules Club. And um, yeah, my kicks tend to go um, any which way but straight ahead. So um, it's not an easy ball to kick. 
and um, you know the the insight from professionals um, definitely gives me a little bit of uh, incentive. So thank you. Great to have you call, Mark. Good luck with your evolution into becoming an AFL player and. There is nothing better than watching old vision of some of the greats. So ball drop, all that kind of stuff, the mechanism that the old guys used. Uh, you don't necessarily need you know, advice from people that have got a voice like me. Sometimes it's just there for you on YouTube if you do want to research it yourself. Uh, Dave in Waterways, you got a thought on this. Welcome to you, Dave. Yeah, mate. Dwayno, you bloody legend, mate. Fair income. <laughs> I fully agree with what you said about kicking footies in the street with your kids. I used to do that with my kids when they were about five years old. I'd stab past them and nearly knock them onto the road when they took a chest yes. mark. But it, 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 yep. it showed in their junior football, though, their kicking was brilliant. Of all the so, kicks that I ever saw kick a ball, my father was my hero when it came to the drop kick, the stab pass. And he was right. He'd put it through your chest. And he was accurate just about every time. And it was, it was the timing of a stab pass, maybe because... The stab pass was used by old guys back in the day. The, the timing to be able to drop the ball correctly and time your leg swing for a stab pass had to be spot on. No wonder guys don't do it anymore because it, is a, it, it was an art form. And kicking with your dad or your mum, I mean, if you can get out in the backyard more often with your parents, I know it's a different world, but my dad and I would kick over the house. I only had a small house in Paraka, but we'd kick over the house backyard to front yard, um, you know, sometimes even in the dark. So when it was coming at you... You wouldn't see it until, you know, the last 20 or so metres as it was coming down at you. So, yeah, I mean, kicking with your mum and dad or your brother or your mate or the kid next door is something that maybe doesn't get done anymore. Uh, Ronnie, appreciate your call, by the way, Dave. Ronnie and Bendigo, you there, Ronnie? Okay, Dwayne, hope you're having a fantastic Friday. Um, I am. Just wanted to touch, touch on a couple of things. Um, the previous caller that said Harry Mackay probably cost Carlton a couple of games is you know, I think there's been a lot of players that have missed shots on goal. I know Harry's there to kick goals, but I don't think he necessarily was the panacea to us not making the finals. Anyway, um, I think f- fatigue in the players is the main, you know, amongst other things that have been mentioned, I reckon fatigue of the players is a big contributing factor because everyone admits they're running faster, running longer, running harder in games. Um, that's the first point. Second point. Yeah, I'll accept um, that. Uh, do you uh, have you taken much note of the uh, of all the fanfare between uh, uh, Tim Zoo and Tony Harrison before the fight on Sunday? And what are your thoughts? Is it going to be a uh, is it going to go the distance, or is Tim going to um, get the chocolates before he has a chance to take out Charlo? Not going to weigh into something that I know nothing about, Ronnie. So boxing's not my portfolio. Uh, Sammy Edmund gave me the brief just before I came on. I hope it's a good fight. I probably will sample it now that there's been a lot of talk about it. And on this program on Monday, a lot of the stuff I do watch on the weekend when it's not something I would normally watch is watched because I know people will probably ring about it on Monday and I need to know about it. So, yeah, I think I'll take that fight in on Sunday. So let's talk about it Monday and uh, we'll have a chat about what went down. Uh, appreciate your call, Ronnie. Always good to be able to expand the horizons. So we've got this, a weekend this weekend where there's plenty to watch outside of the AFL, uh, including some Melbourne Storm, which we'll talk about a little bit later on with Frank Panisi. Back to your calls. I know Mike in Geelong wants to talk some cricket. Alex, I know you're on the line as well. Uh, a couple of texts that have come through. Uh, bring back the plastic footy. Uh, another one here. Some of the most accurate goal kickers in history, like Peter Hudson, Jason Dunstall, Tony Lockett, Jason Ackerman. used to place the ball, the football on the boot, not drop the football on their boot. Uh, how good was watching Gaza run into Coldwain? Small ball drop, seemed to drop. 
the point of the ball onto his foot for a fast-spinning drop punt. Epic. That's from Hamdog in Torquay. There has been a lot of superstar smooth movers in the midfield, and they were magnificent, including Gary Ablett Jr. Uh, not every kid, not enough kids kick on the street or in the park every day these days like they used to. Dwayne's World, Dwayne's World for Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal support. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. And for Athena Home Loans, pay down your home loan faster with Athena. Straight back to your calls and your texts for Midday Madness. A bit of love for Uzi, Jared in Ringwood. Yeah, we're crossing to India to speak to Adam Collins in about an hour from now to get a little preview of day two. So we'll be talking a lot of Uzi then. If you're unaware of what's happened in the cricket in the fourth test, well, Australia brilliantly poised Four for 255 at stumps on day one. Usman Khawaja, 104, not out. And Cameron Green, 49, not out. Um, one, that theory of the kids not on the street kicking footballs anymore. It's the same with a lot of backyards now. Backyards are a lot smaller uh, than you had when we were teenagers. You can't go kicking around in the backyard like you once did. Paul, yeah, that's probably true. Although I do remember growing up and kicking in the corridors of the house. Maybe you're not allowed to kick in the corridors of houses anymore with rolled up socks and balloons and... Uh, nerf footballs etc but if you want to kick uh, with your parents or your brother I'm sure there's avenues and places that you can go to kick even if it's not the um, front medium strip anymore um, I learned to kick a torp by kicking over the house backyard to front yard if I got it wrong it ended up next door or on the roof exactly and that was the big penalty you got to climb on the roof or uh, heaven forbid knock on the neighbor's door and see if they'd let you get the footy from the backyard and if you had bad neighbours, sometimes you'd end up losing your footy for a couple of days, especially if they had a big dog and they weren't home. Uh, hey, Dwayno, what's the best two or three tips you could pass on about goal-kicking techniques by the coaches or being close to the greats like Gaza? Chris, in Bateman's Bay, Chris, my advice would be, to, if you're a current player or a kid, is watch old vision. So watch the great guys. Watch what Jason Ackermanis kicked like. Watch what... Craig Bradley or Greg Williams. Get old vision. Have a look at Darren Jarman. Have a look at old tape and the way they dropped the ball, the way they ran toward the goal, what their mechanism was like. You don't need me to to tell you how to kick, and I'm probably the guy that you shouldn't ask. There's old vision there. And my advice would be look at your own technique, tape your own technique, look at your technique side by side with an Ackermanis or a Greg Williams or a Darren Jarman and make your own assessment. I get asked about commentary advice all the time by people what give me some advice on commentary what I should do with commentary and I often say to them well do you watch what you've done back do you watch your your film that you've commentated back whether it's local footy or you know the AFLW game or whatever and a lot of people say no I don't like watching myself back and my advice to them is always well what how can I give you advice on you when you don't even critique yourself so that's my advice critique yourself before because sometimes you're the best critic of your own mechanism. You're the best critic of yourself before someone else gives you advice on what you should change. Mike in Geelong, you want to talk some cricket though. Mike, welcome to you. Uh, thanks, Dwayne. How are you going? Good, thanks. That's good. Hey, I just wanted to touch on yesterday's play and I've just, um, I'm not sure whether it was um, a, a coach's thing or whether it was a Steve Smith and um, um, Kawaja thing to go out and actually see out a session and make the Indian fielders actually sweat it out for a while out there because you watched them yesterday. They were actually getting the yeah. ice packs on the back of the neck and actually struggling a bit. And it, Cameron Green actually cashed in on the end of the day's play because of what Steve Smith did, even though he missed out on the, on the runs in one sense. But he, you know, to not lose a wicket in the middle session really set him up. And I 
I just thought it was a really great sort of bit of thought into it for once. So where did this old school patience come from all of a sudden? Because talk about learning from history and learning from, you know, the Darren Jarmans of the world. Once upon a time, that was the thing that happened in India. Well, it's just happened in Test cricket anyway. Actually walking to the crease with patience, Mike. So are we going to have this debate? If Australia win this test, will we have a debate on whether Steve Smith's captaincy has been better than it's, you know, Pat Cummins' captaincy? Do you, because the, the mentality seemed to be right yesterday. Oh, most definitely. And, look, you feel for Pat Cummins in a way because he's still only early in his captaincy. So he's trying to... I think he's trying to listen to a lot too many people rather than just sort of taking things on by himself. Whereas Steve Smith just took it upon himself yesterday. He just saw out the ball, you know, and they just... You know, they they had patience yesterday and it was great to actually watch. And they've got to understand, it's a five-day set of play, not three days is what we're getting rolled in. Yeah, like I agree on with you, Mike. There's a lot of people, and I heard the callers earlier on with SEN, and Sammy Edmund did say it, it wasn't as exciting as the last couple of text, tests when, you know, there were three days and there was action every ball and you were hanging off every ball because something crazy could happen every ball. But there's something about being, I shouldn't say bored with test cricket, there's something about watching test cricket long form where you would just rather you guys go in and be there for the long haul and rather than play the ridiculous taking-a-chance shot where... Uh, oh, yeah, I've got the licence to go for it. And if I get out, it's not my fault because that's just the way we play these days. Be entertaining. Um, take on the radical shot. It's the way that the mentality of the 2023 Test cricketers uh, are taking on the game. But I like the old school of, no, we're just going to be patient and stay a session. And if I end up batting for two days, well, so be it um, because I'm going to be patient about the way I go about it and at least uh, get a, get my eye in for a little while, for at least a you know a half an hour to an hour before I start playing anything more extravagant. A shot. Um, great to have you call, Brian in Bundura. Welcome to you, Brian. Yeah, good day, Dwayne. How's it going? Yeah, good. What are your thoughts? Well, I just thought I'd make a couple of comments um, about the the comparison between goal kicking and field kicking. I think um, it's a little bit inaccurate at times because. With kicking a field kick, obviously the receiver of the mark can make small adjustments if they're either leading or playing into the mark. And if you think about a goal, either side of the centre, maybe three metres, so if you're aiming straight to the middle, you've got a small error margin of error, except you know a small tweak in the direction that you're running on a lead or a small adjustment from the mark or a receiver of the ball may appear like it's landing straight in their lap, but actually it's been quite a bit of deviant or variation from where the intended yep. target actually was. So I think that's sometimes it's a little bit, little bit misleading just to compare field kicking to goal kicking. So I thought I'd just comment on that. But the other one is... Um, that emphasised the point, though, isn't it? They should practice their... Go- These midfielders should practice their goal kicking because it's a different kick. Exactly, yeah. Totally. And, um, and probably different technique as well, right? So, um, and then the other one is uh, the sports science. There's a lot of commentary around sports science and... I guess a lot of that's driven from the greater athleticism and durability that um, every player in the field has now. And it's so expected of a forward to be able to put in high kilometres, high miles, and be able to outwork their opponent, get up the ground. And if you compare a lot of the greats, they will sort of stick within the 50-metre arc. So it's just a very different forward craft now. And I think it's hard to say, well, you know, you've cost to go to team a goal because you didn't kick straight. But if you didn't have the durability and the athleticism to be able to run up the ground and back and down, then you probably 
potentially cost the team more. And it's, it's a bit harder to measure because you haven't got that immediate response or, or um, you know, metric to measure the, the outcome against. Now, I'm not arguing yeah. that there's a, you know, a need to improve goal kicking, but I just think that sometimes you need to be mindful of the nuances when you're thinking about the you know, sports science and obviously the field kicking and so on. Yeah, I get And the, few, the fatigue issue is a factor because they're running up and back. I get that. But, and I know that there's, it's a congested inside 50 these days in comparison, so there's not as much space. But to weigh that up against what it was like in the old days, I mean, these current players are not playing with a wet, muddy ball. So there's no mud. The grounds are perfect. You're playing on carpet. You've got a new ball to start. Well, sometimes you get two new balls a quarter. So you've got new balls. You've got Marble Stadium, which has got a roof on it. So there's no windy grounds. There was mass complaints last week. Oh, how bad was the game at Moorabbin because it was windy? Guess what? All these old guys that I've been talking about, they played at Moorabbin in the wind. So all of a sudden you get one game in the wind and it's impossible to play decent footy. So the parameters of goal kicking back then had a lot of variations that made it tougher than they are now, playing under the roof at Marvel on carpet. The other thing about fatigue is I get fatigue, but let me read you some of the great goal kicks of the modern game. So Tom Lynch kicks at 64%. Fatigue's not reckon his goal kicking numbers. Bailey Fritch, he runs up and back. He kicks goals at 63%. Peter Wright, he runs up and back. He kicks a goal at 62%. Mitch Lewis, 66%. Uh, Jack Darling, 67%. Darcy Fogarty, 65%. Matt Tabiner kicks at 68%. Harry Himmelberg, he kicks at 76%. So these are greats of the now that actually do do the running up and back, and they're accurate. So if you give Matt Tabiner 100 shots at goal, he will kick you 68 goals, 32. If you give Max King the same 100 shots, he'll kick you 49 goals, 51. That's 19 goals difference between Matt Tabiner and Max King, which is roughly a goal a game. So some can do it, some can't. So tell me why some can kick with fatigue and some can't. And there's no fatigue as a factor when you're having a shot at goal five minutes into a game.